It is the first podcast of 2024 for a show called Being Jewish. My name is Seth Everett. He is David Weisberg. He is a rabbi at a temple. I am a broadcaster who attends that temple. Dave, Happy New Year, I guess we should say, although this is easily the latest, I will say Happy New Year to anybody, but I'm glad we can do year two together. I love that we are ringing in 2024 with episode 23. That's right. Don't look back, just look forward. (laughs) Well, of course, we're covering material that started out in 2023, so... Let's pray that this is a better year. Let's work for this being a better year. And we have our work cut out for us. Sure we do. There's a a funny podcast that I listen to where at the end, in the intro, they always say what episode number. And then their co-host goes, uh, we're halfway to, and when he doubles, whatever the number is. So like for us, it would be, this is episode 23, halfway to 46. (laughs) And you just, <laughs> he says this statistic that no one needs. <laughs> because well, you that's the brilliance double. of statistics, right? Some of them are useful and some of them are just there. I know. I did find out in a year and a, uh, about a year and a quarter, uh, my Sports with Friends podcast will hit episode 500. How are you celebrating? I think that might be the finale. <laughs> I'm thinking about wow. it. I'm thinking about it. If I... If I'm going past 500, I'm going to 600. You see what I'm saying? So, like, if there is a breaking point, that's the breaking point. 500 episodes? How do you not use 500 episodes as a breaking point for a podcast? Well, why break if you have a good thing going? Do we have a How long do you have for the answer? (laughs) (laughs) We have a natural break for this podcast, which is... If everything starts going well in the world and we've conquered all of our issues, then then we're good. Then we right. then so we we'll just hit get seven thousand episodes. You know, we I, I guess our podcast ends when the Mashiach comes. That's the we didn't we we didn't launch this though with a finale in in, in mind. Nor did I lost my other launch my other podcast with a finale in mind. At the time, it was a hobby. It was it was a it was a it was a thing to do. Now it appears it's just it's an interesting number. We're not close, meaning we're sixty five episodes away. So that's sixty five weeks. That's a year and some change. That means in the middle of twenty twenty five, when we were supposedly promised the flying car, I was told by twenty twenty five we'd have the fi- the flying car. I have yet to see it. Yeah, we do have video phones, though, which the Jetsons did predict. So they weren't completely off. That's right. They were close. They were they were very <laughs> close. <laughs> and the AI systems are perhaps coming to get us or solve our problems. So uh, I guess we can pick and choose which fiction we'll read that will tell us about what is to come. But we are here for a purpose, Seth. Yeah, I we... wanted to check in with you. Because we've gone for a couple of weeks, you had some travels, I had some travels, we both did some snow shoveling, and a lot has been happening in the Jewish world. As a rabbi, I'm fully immersed in it, and I wanted to hear from you while you've been traveling, while you've had a little bit of a mental break. Has anything come up 
that's been going on in the Jewish world that has really been pulling at you? Well, I think the rhetoric in the United States has evolved, not necessarily for the better, um, but I think the fact that the presidential campaign is literally underway, uh, whereas it was always something that was in the news. It was always something that was speculated about, uh, but now it's happening. And the stance for or against Israel has been a major sticking point. For example, uh, President Biden has been a massive supporter of Israel. There has been so much anti-Israel sentiment that he is now softening his stance, not necessarily his policies, but his rhetoric, because he's trying to get the popular vote. And so this year, what has been compromised is the misinformation out there that is going to be expanded upon. And in my travels, that was an overwhelming theme. Uh, I attended a wedding in California, and that was a question that was asked. And that was before the the primaries got underway. Um, I was on a college campus, and I teach a podcasting class. Students asked me, you know, not not one-on-one, is there anything that is untouchable in terms of a topic for a podcast? And I said, no. And I said, the only thing you have to do is if you want to talk about the Israel-Hamas war or the Russia-Ukraine war, if you want to do a podcast about that, you have to make sure your facts are accurate. That's, that's hard these days. That's very hard these days. It seems like when people are seeing facts, they it, a lot of folks seem to be cherry picking and saying these are facts that make sense to me. These are ones that don't align with my worldview, or they don't align with what I think things ought to be. And in this situation, we need to be able to hold multiple truths at once. There are too many people who have a difficult time, and this is me being generous to them, of saying the circumstances for Palestinians who are not Hamas in Gaza is awful. Mm-hmm. It is a terrible situation for them, for those who are alive, and terrible for those who are innocent who have been killed. And Israel does not have much in the way of choices when it comes to dealing with Hamas because their first obligation is to protect their citizens. And Hamas is an entity that will continue to act as long as they have any capacity to do so. And in Israel making their decisions, they also have an obligation to do what they can to protect the lives of their soldiers who are defending them. They are multiple truths. They do not mesh up. They do not have a situation where Israel is safe for the long term and where things are not happening at least to some degree of what they are in gaza and if you can't hold those multiple truths how is it that you can really look at all the facts and come to a conclusion that you're okay with right now this is just one of those scenarios where there is no easy solve 
where there's no easy fix, where there is no easy sense of this is absolutely right, this is absolutely wrong. What happened on October 7th? There is right and there is wrong. What is happening right now is something that may be necessary. It may be logical. But there's very little that is very good in doing what we have to do to look after ourselves. There's a great uh, Instagram account uh, presented by the Tel Aviv Institute. And they had a post, I want to say three weeks ago, that I bookmarked and I saved for this podcast. How to critique Israel without being anti-Semitic. And what they wrote was there's an unfair double standard for Jews in that when we say something is anti-Semitic, people don't listen, even if they listen to other minority groups when they say something is discriminatory to them. When we say something is anti-Semitic, it is. So to avoid continued anti-Semitism, here's a guide on how to criticize Israel without demonizing the entire Jewish population. I just I, I read that and I said, boy. That kind of sounds like what we did our podcast about. <laughs> well, here's the thing about criticizing Israel. Israelis are the first to criticize Israel. The oh. government is a disaster. Many Israelis right now are calling for the dissolution of the current government, even though they are still in the midst of war, because the current government is a disaster. You oh. can say things like that yeah. and not be anti, not even be anti-Israel. Go figure. Well, and the crazy part about it was they were talking about a two-state solution, and you know it, it's become a big political talking point in America, because American, you know, considers Israel one of its closest allies, and you have that exist, and Netanyahu went out and said, "No, absolutely not," and all of a sudden now. You know, it's the same position. I feel like Israel is in the same position now than they were pre-October 7th, which is complete disillusion. Can you say more? Well, let me give you more from this guide. There is nothing more Zionist than critiquing Israel and its policies. Israelis Who is the author of this guide? They write, there is nothing more Zionist than critiquing Israel and its policies. Israelis and Jews in the diaspora are no strangers to pointing out Israel's shortcomings, faults, or even egregious behaviors. In fact, for the last year and a half, Israelis have exercised their democratic rights, taking to the streets in droves to protest Netanyahu and the judicial, and the judicial reform. Protesting, critiquing, and working to better your country is something Israelis, no matter their skin color, religious affiliation, or family background, embrace and regularly practice. So no, criticizing Israel is not inherently anti-Semitic. But there is a fine line. You want some scenarios from the Tel Aviv Institute? Yes, please. Not anti-Semitic. Supporting Palestinian liberation and freedom of movement. Anti-Semitic denying or defending the massacre perpetrated by Hamas on October 7th, who employed tactics such as rape, decapitation, burning people alive, torture, execution, and grenades to brutally end the lives of over 1,200 Israelis and abduct 230-plus more, including foreign nationals from over 27 other countries beginning the current Israel-Hamas war. 
another example. Not anti-Semitic, criticizing the current Israeli prime minister and his policies. Anti-Semitic, calling Israel an apartheid, colonialist, Nazi state, thereby erasing Jewish indigenous history, as well as 2 million Arab Israelis who make up 21% of the country, and 600,000 non-Arab Christians, Baha'i Samaritans, Messianic Jews, and Jehovah's Witnesses. While there is work to be done regarding prejudice between communities, all citizens of Israel have equal rights under the law. Also, Holocaust comparisons, especially comparing a Jew to Hitler, is inherently anti-Semitic. I think you could make cases that some of these may not be anti-Semitism, that they may be just inappropriate, uninformed, offensive critiques of Israel. However, it's clear if you look at the history if you look at the way that Israel has been singled out over and over and over again, and how anything that the Palestinians have done to Israel or that the Arab states have done to Israel or to Jews, those have been completely glossed over. Given the history of this kind of critique, I would agree that this is anti-Semitic. To someone participating in these activities automatically become anti-Semitic, they probably, at least some of them, have no idea what they're doing. Let's call them the righteous idiots of the college campuses. Um, that's not a term I have coined, just one that I like. But ultimately, when the UN makes something like 77 critiques of Israel's actions, but only seven critiques of Hamas's, there is something deeply problematic there. And if it is not anti-Semitism, what are we going to call it? To call Zionism racism when Zionism is not about anyone else. Zionism is about the Jews having a place in our homeland, believing that. To call that racism is in itself creating uh, an entire new way of anti-Semitism, where if you are discrediting Zionism, Unless you are willing to take the approach of saying there should be no religious countries whatsoever, then you're being anti-Semitic. All right, here's another one. Yes. Not anti-Semitic. Disagreeing with statements made by Israelis or Israel supporters. Anti-Semitic. Saying you don't hate Jews, you just hate Zionists. The vast majority of Jews around the world consider themselves to be Zionists. Zion... Zionism is, simply put, the right of the Jewish people to self-determination and self-governance in their native homeland. To deny this and to use Zionist as a dog whistle for Jew is inherently anti-Semitic. Just to point out the idiocy that is often present in this, are people saying Jews don't have the right to self-determination, but Palestinians do? Because if they're criticizing what's going on right there, then that shows that they are up for self-determination for one people in that group. So that demonstrates bias. That demonstrates the anti-Semitism. And indeed, they're just picking terminology so they can feel like they're not being anti-Semitic or express that they're not being anti-Semitic. And that's full of it. Not anti-Semitic is grieving for innocent Palestinians killed in the war. True. Anti-Semitic, refusing to hold Hamas, the PIJ, the PLO, and PA accountable for their years of terror against Israel, war crimes, instigation of this war, and others 
the breaking of previous ceasefires, the horrific treatment of their own people, including but certainly not limited to using innocent civilians as human shields, theft and embezzlement of humanitarian aid, funds and resources, religious cleansing of Christian Arabs from the West Bank and Gaza, and threatening and enacting violence onto their people. Yes. I think that was a comparison made for just going off on Hamas. I think you can make a much simpler comparison. Not anti-Semitic, having compassion for the Gazans affected by this. Anti-Semitic, refusing to have compassion for the Israelis murdered, raped, hurt by that. Go further. And, you know, not calling out Hamas, absolutely anti-Semitic. But there's a problem if you can only recognize that one side is human and entitled to certain protections and living, and you can't acknowledge that the other side deserves the same. You know, for the anti-Zionists, for the people who say there should be no Jewish state, how do you then look at the Jewish people's history, not only of being exiled, um, attacked, uh, thrown whatever verb you want there, throughout our history living in foreign lands because we had to leave our country 2,000 years ago from that exile, and for all of our people being forcibly uh, exiled from the Arab states, right? We weren't welcome there. We were forced out without our belongings. A lot of them ended up in Israel. How are you saying that the Jews don't get to have that land in the homeland that they had to leave without a choice a long time ago, but the Palestinians do get to have that land? Right. Why are you picking one over the other? Yeah. It's called a two-state solution. Not the closing, the closing of the post. And again, it's a Tel Aviv Institute. Um, it says, you do not have to discard facts, history, and the humanization of Jews to stand with Palestinians. If you do, you are not pro-Palestine. You are just anti-Jews. I just think stuff like that is not out there enough. The people who follow that account are Jewish. They have 40,000 followers. They're they're Jewish followers. People who hate Jews are not following that account. People just don't care to hear the alternative narrative. People just don't care. I mean, let's face it. There are plenty of Jews who have no interest in hearing the Palestinian narrative as well. However, you have lots of Jews who are interested. You have lots of Israelis who are still speaking about peace and finding common ground, even with everything going on. I can't wrap my head around finding peace right now. I'm not there yet. Where are the voices from the other side that are saying, you guys both have legitimate claims to this land. Both sides have to make something work. And guess what? While both sides have their flaws, one side has made legitimate efforts and offerings over time. And one side from the beginning has gone and attacked us anytime peace might have been an opportunity. While we're talking about interesting articles, a colleague, a friend and congregant, forwarded me an article by someone who teaches not at the Tel Aviv Institute, but uh, at the Tel Chai Academic College. The author is Jonathan Kassler. And he pointed out that everyone is very easy to offer critiques and say that Israel needs to do something different. But he also points out, no one's actually telling them what to do that's different, right? 
there is no easy solve here. No one knows how to solve this. So what are we supposed to do? He actually, he isolates the different voices into different categories. And I wanted to share this because it, I find it interesting. He talks about the turn back the clock brigade. There are those who just go into history and say something different should have been done here. The answer was there and you blew it. Okay, that's helpful. Not. He points out that there is another group called Kilimal, right? That everyone in Gaza, they might as well be Hamas. And the only way out of this is for them all to die, which, by the way, is Hamas's approach to Israelis. And that's a very dangerous point of view. Mm-hmm. There is another group that he refers to as the mitigators, which I think we're seeing from a lot of our American politicians. And he writes, they more or less accept that this is how the battle has to be fought, but suggest ways that might reduce the death toll. They may have a point, but I fear they don't really have enough knowledge to make such assertions credibly, right? Like Israel, don't use those large bombs, go in. Mm-hmm. Problem with going in is then more of their people are going to die. I'm not saying to use the large bombs, but it doesn't actually give Israel a suggestion that is useful there. And his last category, he calls them humanitarians. He says that they simply say we can't and mustn't do this, that the murder of so many innocent people can't be justified and massacring civilians won't win the war. Problem is none of these approaches actually offer anything constructive. And the reality, even for those humanitarians, is that without any action, more Israelis will be murdered, more Israelis will die. And all of these people who are speaking from the sidelines don't actually live their life day to day with those risks. Right. Unfortunately, after all of this claiming that all of these people speak up without a real solution, he too does not offer a solution because <laughs> none of us have one. And he I don't mean this saying, as a direct criticism. Yeah. But presenting this without a suggestion, I'm not even saying that his or her solution is correct. It just offers something. Give me, a, it's like saying that movie's awful, but not saying why. I would say, though, his critique is that people offering things are often offering things without really thinking through the implications of those messages. It's one thing to have the position and say, I'm really uncomfortable with people dying. That's valid. To say, Israel, you should not do this because people are dying and it doesn't matter what you are facing or not, you don't get to kill people, right? That is not helpful because it's not acknowledging the reality of war that Israel did not choose. Right. Not saying that we shouldn't try to solve solutions, but I'm not saying that we shouldn't try to solve problems here. But what I would say is either offer solutions that you actually have enough knowledge to be offering or offer a solution while expressing your humility then i don't actually know enough to know if this will work or not but i'm uncomfortable about this and i would hope that you could figure something out that would do differently but if you don't know what you're talking about be humble I don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to military solutions. What I know are my concerns. And what I know is that 
we have to be able to hold on to multiple truths at once if we are going to be able to keep our heads on in this. And if we're ever going to be open to peace when it does show its face. I'm excited to see where this podcast goes this year. Uh, I'm looking forward to having some episodes. I love the fact that our first episode focused on anti-Semitism that exists all around us and not the progress of the war. The progress of the war is very disheartening, but I think that our sentiments are and our 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 genuine goal of sending out accurate information still thrives.